Emily Grace, and welcome to the Stages podcast of Bernstein Private Wealth Management. Life throws lots of stuff at you at every stage, and we're here to talk about it. And today on the stage, we have Kara McSoud, Master of the Pivot. While there are many books on pivoting your personal life and countless others about pivoting your career, Kara has done both. At the age of 17, Kara transformed her great poker skills into a job at the New York Stock Exchange while simultaneously earning her degree in finance from NYU's Stern School of Business. While working at Wall Street's top firms, she helped launch the New York Stock Exchange ETF business and also became the youngest woman ever to be given a seat to trade at the New York Stock Exchange. After five children, married, and living in Tribeca, Kara made a major career change. She left the illustrious world of finance to focus on the not-for-profit sector. Kara also made a pretty extreme pivot in her personal life. She moved her family to a small fishing village in Costa Rica for a whole year. Whoa. (laughs) She is with us today to share her insights on life and the pivots we make along the way, regardless of what stage we are at in our lives. Welcome, Kara. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Okay. So you have five children and made a decision to stay in New York City when many others would have decided to move to the suburbs. How did you make that decision? Initially, um, you know, I think you start to have kids and you, you think of giving them everything, right? And so initially we didn't make that decision. Initially we were, we were living in the city. We, I got pregnant. We looked, you know, for the big house. We went out to Brooklyn, so it wasn't the suburbs, okay. but it was definitely the more suburban part of Brooklyn. More space. More space, you know, the four bedrooms, two-car garage, the backyard, yes. all the things that I think we look to for you know, what, what it should look like, right? And that seemed what everybody else was doing. I have an older sister. That's what she had done. It just seemed like you follow the path. Um, we proceeded to have kids. We stayed there for a couple of years. It was a little bit under three. Um, and I realized that even though at that point I was home with the kids for two years, um, we You know, because my husband was still commuting to the city, and it wasn't some three-hour commute, but it definitely was an hour, give or take. Taking a chunk of time. Taking a chunk of time. And he was excited about some of the things that kids were doing in school. And even though they were small things, I think both of us wanting to be parents to the kids were excited about some of these little things. And you wanted to participate. And we wanted to participate. And so he would do his best to try to, you know, be at things and then run back into the city and get to work or come home early or whatnot as Wall Street often does, it takes up a lot of your time. And because I'd been in the business, I very much respected what he was doing and the work that he was doing. And I respected the fact that I was being given the opportunity to stay home and be with the kids. So he needed to kind of put in double the amount, not double, but close to double the amount of work. So we needed to compensate for the fact that we had just lost that one income. So with that all being said, you know, we were going through and, and I think I became not only, I saw what was happening with the commuting time, but I became a slave to the house. Anybody that's a homeowner knows that there's always a roof that's leaky, there's always a pipe that's rusty, there's always always something. something. And I quickly realized that that's how my time was being spent. So even though I wanted to be out at the park with the kids, I sometimes had to wait for a plumber. or, And that became not the way I wanted to spend my time. And I use the word spend because... I then realized that became really a a over 
of my life. How do you spend your time, your money, your energy, yes. right? Everything is a spend. And so we, I sat down with my husband, we chatted about it, and I said, look, if we move to the city, yes, we're going to have a lot less in terms of space, but we're going to have a lot more in terms of each other. And dollars and cents, it was actually slightly more for us to move back to the city, yes. right? We needed a parking space for the car, and we needed a couple of things. But I was like, I think it's going to be worth it in what we're going to gain in being together. And together so, and time. together in time. And what I will say is, I am fortunate that I'm very comfortable making a decision. And if I'm wrong, I don't have an issue stepping back and saying, oops, that didn't work. We're going to go back. So, that's pretty powerful it, to it, be able to do absolutely. that. Absolutely. And there was no embarrassment of it, right? Yes. Um, you'll see it's happened a couple of times in my life where. Everybody around me is, well, what if? What if it doesn't? What if it doesn't feel right? What if it doesn't work? What if nobody likes it? Well, what if you pack your bags and you go back to doing what you were doing? Yeah. But if you don't try, you'll never know, right? And, and there's often that saying that on your deathbed, right, you don't worry about the things you've done. You talk about all the things you should have done. So I feel like I'm fortunate in that I won't have all these things that I didn't do. Um, so we came back to the city, and that's how we made that decision. And there's definitely been those days of my kids, you know, why don't we have scooters like every other kid on the street? And because there's five of them, doesn't matter how big your New York City apartment is, we can't have five scooters. Our entire entryway would be full. So we've definitely given things up to live in the city. But I think what myself and my kids would tell you is the fact that I would say, 90% of the time we get to eat dinner as a seven-person family is very unrare, you know, it's very rare in this city and, age. and in, especially in this day and age. And we're super fortunate that we get to do that. That's fantastic because when you think about saying to your children, no, you can't all have scooters. <laughs> no, we're not going to do all of that. And we made, we made the decision to move and be in an apartment right. and not have this significant space, you know, it sounds like you really have, you and your husband, despite both working, have made a real emphasis on family and values and have incorporated that into, into teaching your children about money and finances. And so how does, that all, how does that all play together? You know, I think the biggest thing is that you're absolutely right. Our, our biggest value is our family. And I, I tell my kids that on a regular basis because I do believe with that support at home, builds confidence that is unparalleled to any confidence out there, right? You, we, you should know that you have this net at home. So when you go out, I'm not saying, you know, jump off every roof, yes. but you can take risks because there's people around to help you along the way or catch you when you fall. Yeah. And I encourage risks, right? I'm a trader by, by blood. <laughs> I'm a poker player by, you know, my inherent by heart. By heart. <laughs> and I have a, you know, a child named Ace and a, my fifth kid is named River for the it. River card. So I'm, you know, I'm a true and true, but I encourage risks. And I encourage risks because I think it's great to be out of your comfort zone. So if you have great values and you're able to make calculated risk, right, that is what produces the grandiose That is, in my opinion, what produces this person who's able to go out and accomplish things. And I don't always mean accomplish dollars and cents, yes. which would be fabulous if all my kids could be super self-supportive in the next couple of minutes. Um, but I do think that it creates this person that walks in and is able, without an ego, without, you know, being obnoxious, but creates a sense of, you know, 
confidence and stability that I've got this, I know I have my skills, I know I've got this, and if I don't know it, that's okay, and I've got these values that I can lean on, and I've got these people that I can lean on. And so that's really been right. And I, I think in the city that we live in, right, a lot of people wrap around the expensive education. Yes. I'm not for it, I'm not against it, but I've had to often explain to my kids that just because it's more expensive doesn't always mean it's better, because spending my whole life on Wall Street, I had enough experience with people who had more money than I could ever count, but one thing money can never buy you is time or tact. So time you, or tact, T&T. Right, T&T. So, and that's really, I mean, that's Right? Use your time wisely because you only get it once and you can't buy it back. And you, you don't know right, who you're rubbing shoulders with or who you're talking to because some people do come in disguise, good and bad. And if you're not tactful in your, in your presentation or humble, then you, you may have missed an opportunity uh, with someone who may have given you the time to talk to you. And, and I do think those are the greater things. So that's, you know, what I've kind of really reiterated to my kids. I've used almost every opportunity down to somebody not holding a door for us, yes. down to being in the grocery store checkout line, you know, with the 99 cent item that all five of my kids are screaming that they need to have it or they're going to combust. So how do you message that? How do you, you know, it's, we all get caught in the checkout line. Right, exactly. It's Everything's a teaching opportunity, right? And the, 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 the lesson that I teach at the checkout line is, can we afford the 99 cent item? Absolutely. Times five, though. I mean, it, at some point, we might not be able to afford it. Um, but it's not about we can't afford it. It's about we need this money to do other things with. Or this money at 99 cents might just buy you the one little Shopkin. Yes. But Shopkins. if a week's worth of it times five is $35, let's just, you know, yes. put it down. It, that $35 times six months worth of it, I've now just bought you tickets to go see, you know, Six Flags Haunted Halloween. Yes. And doesn't that sound like so much more fun? Because during Haunted Halloween, they give out treats and things. So if you're one ticket, you're going to get all of this stuff. Much more. And much more. And we've got an experience. And Daddy's going to be able to come. And the family. And, and it's, interestingly enough, I do think, as adults, we often think that these kids are small. So small means they don't have a lot of capacity. But when explained to them in terms that they can understand and in things that are valuable to them, right? They don't understand my mortgages and my taxes and why my, you know, I've just got a new assessment yes. on something. They don't get that. But they do get, well, I have one Shopkin and I want seven Shopkins and what that looks like what that versus looks like. Exactly. Going, to, going to Six Flags. Exactly. So I do think that that's those, those are the times I use those opportunities to teach that lesson. And I'm just like every other mother. I don't get out of the store without the tears or the cries or whatever. But I do, I do try to stick on the path of, like, we're just going to keep having the conversation until, at this point, fortunately, my kids can – there's five of them, and they run from 8 to 13 years old. Yes. They are able to convey that message to each other at this point. Do you ever find them trying to convey it to other children, um, not in your family? They they do, and, and we were talking earlier about the Chuck E. Cheese, right? Yes. With, for those of us who have taken our kids to Chuck E. Cheese or an arcade, 
when they have their cousins with them or people that aren't normally just with us and the kid is trying to get the 50 ticket bouncy ball yes. they'll say to them well if you save it you can actually get you know this or this or this and it's funny to hear them be able to convey the message because I often those are the moments where I'm like yes I've done this yes. parenting <laughs> thing I'm actually you know what I mean sometimes there matters Oh, well, not so much. I'm but. like, well, you just pushed your sister out of the way. Why did you do that? But, <laughs> you know, into traffic. <laughs> this is true. Um, and so I often think those are the moments that I'm like, at least I've, you know, set them but off they on are a, listening. And a it is good amazing path. how much children do listen. And in fact, it sounds like you've really, you know, from a very early age started this discussion. Yeah. And I would say to those who are listening, this is something that I do work with a lot of a lot of my it's never too early on because it's never yep. too early. So yep. any way that, that we can be helpful in that, we're, and even, we're happy to. So when they were little, you know, you go back to the moments where they want the ice cream and then they want the white rice and then they want the applesauce, yes. right? I remember them being super tiny and saying to them, I understand maybe you don't like this now, but you didn't finish it and it's wasteful to just get rid of it and get something yes. else. So again, at one, at two, yes, it doesn't feel like it's sticking, but consistency actually is key, right? As long as you're consistent, I'm not saying that don't matters. get the kid the next thing that they want, but if you make sure you reiterate the lesson behind it, the consistency of this is wasteful, we really try not to be wasteful next time, if you want something, try to pick and the lessons that or, matter to you exactly. and your family and the, the priorities of your family. Kids will learn through consistency. That's fantastic. So as long now, as... Now, when you think about being consistent, you know, it's clear that you've made some pretty big shifts in your life yep. over the years. And, and so that, in a sense, has been your consistent, is that you're willing to, to change. change. You're willing all, right. to pivot. You're willing to you know, start down one path and decide, you know, Brooklyn isn't right. Even right. though we moved here, we're going to move back into the city. You know, how do you help your children think about pivots in their own lives, that, that the path that they're on doesn't need to be the one they stick on? So what I tell my kids on a regular basis is every experience, good, bad, or indifferent, is an experience and take something away from it. Take something away from it that gives you tools and skills to use in your next experience. If you don't like something, nobody is forcing you to be there. Decisions come with consequences, with good, with bad, with work. And I often think people don't want to make a change because the amount of work that it takes to make that change seems daunting, right? So what I tell my kids is be a worker bee. Don't, don't think anything is too much work to change, right? And so I don't, because we've, and you mentioned it earlier, you know, we, we were living in New York City, going to a Tribeca school district, living amongst, you know, the Whole Foods and everything yes. so easily is available to a very small village where we really had access to nothing. Um, and that was very purposefully done. What did your children um, think about that move? Mike, Mike, you know, it's, my kids Costa Rica thought, is not Tribeca. It, no, it definitely wasn't. Kids are resilient. Yes. And for them, you know, most people would say, oh, my gosh, they're friends, they're this, they're that. Fortunately for us, because we're such a big group, they come with a pack of, like, they come as a pack they of come wolves. With friends. So that really didn't seem to ever hit the radar. The biggest part was my husband, because he was working, only had certain 
spats of time with us. Okay. So he wasn't there consistently, and they will tell you to this day. Costa Rica still comes up. Now it's over three years ago that we've come yes. back. Every single day. Something about it comes up every day. Wow. So to me, most kids don't remember their kindergarten, first grade. Like, nothing is super memorable. That, I will say, in that sense, my kids, that whole year is... Every part about it is memorable because everything was new. What they thought about it was, first of all, how much children in that culture are embraced and how much they're, nobody's busy like New York City, right? They're, it's very welcomed to take your time and go through a process. We've lost so many processes here in New York, right? Or in the U.S. in general, yeah. I'd say. Um, and by going back to a process, what the value of something means more. When you pour beans out of a can and you cook them for six minutes on the stove and they're done, what was the process? You have beans. You have beans. But when you've gone and you've picked the beans and dried the beans and sauteed them for four hours because they need to cook slowly, when you eat those beans, maybe they don't taste better, but somehow for me, they always tasted better, right? And because the process and the kids learn the process. And often what we've done with so many things in our world today is because we've taken out so much of the process that nobody understands true value of things or I shouldn't say doesn't understand it. Maybe they don't, they don't have true value, right? We dispose of so many things because we don't know the process in which we got there. So I think for the kids, it was just so exciting to be part of every single process. To be part of making the beans. Be part of making the beans. And everything was like that. Yes. I mean, getting water was often like that. You know, garbage didn't really exist there the way it exists here. You don't okay. just put it out on a curb. So you had to separate everything into composting and recyclables. And, I mean, you're, you're living in a third world country. And... Um, Things like Ziploc bags weren't available to be bought where we were living. So if you had a plastic bag, you washed it out, you hung it on a line to reuse it. And because of all these things needing to be done, I actually needed the help of all of my children. Yes. <laughs> because, Which makes sense why people have large families in places like that. Everyone because has everybody has a job. And for a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, to have a job that truly mattered. Because when I needed to take them to the grocery store and they wanted a bowl of... Um, you know, those lychee, kind of looks like a yes. grape. okay. And we had nowhere to hold them, right? How yeah. many can you hold in your hands? We had our Ziploc bag that my seven-year-old washed. She felt very proud of that. That she had contributed. Right, contributed. And that's huge, right? Like that's, again, that kind of relates back to your, your money and your finance. Why, right? Because why don't they have Ziploc bags? Why, how expensive are Ziploc bags, right? You're dealing in a third world country, so the economies, people don't make enough. They can't afford those kind of items. They reuse things. They don't have the productions. Everything's imported, right? I mean, these are big kind of topics, but you'd be shocked, broken down, when a kid washes a Ziploc bag and then... can understand. Right. Well, why don't they have Ziploc bags here? The conversation just builds. And luckily, in a place like that, you have time for those conversations. Right? What we don't have here is time. And were the children in school at the time? They were. There? They so went they... to a local school um, that was absolutely amazing. They really got submerged in the culture. Yes. Um, the school is a 50-50 for every one expat that comes in and pays. One local kid goes to school for free. Oh, so the school stays, you know, a, a really submersed, yes. you know, in the culture, in the language. Um, and they, they really did well with it.
And so your kids have really learned from an early stage that, that change is something to be embraced. Exactly. As, and not something to be embarrassed of. Or And it's okay to be uncomfortable, right? Think yes. about they got there. They don't speak the language. They didn't. Lunch is served every day. It was white rice, black beans. And you know what I mean? Like that's not what you're traditional. You know? <laughs> and a meat, sometimes not a meat. Because the meat is right. expensive. Right. So, you know, it was, we went with the local process. Um, and it was it was definitely something that they, I feel like, learned that it's okay to, like, now nicely say, I, I don't want that. Yes. Right? Here, we often, we have so many choices. You don't ever have to not like something because there's always something, there's always else, something else to get. Else. And there, then you learn that if you're hungry enough, you'll eat anything. <laughs> I think that's what they say with babies also. <laughs> no, it, it, it was true. Like, after a while, they were like, all my kids liked the black beans. They would eat them. They were That was, that was they lunch. Were Otherwise, yes. they, were, they were going hungry till yep. dinner, and that might be beans, too. Exactly. And that might be beans, too. I love it. So, really, so your, some, kids, your yeah. kids learn this, this pretty young. Right. And I always think, you know, when I thought about you, know, you at the New York Stock Exchange, or working in finance, or now you know, you're working with at-risk youth, helping them with their coding skills right. to get jobs in this burgeoning coding industry, but you've always gravitated towards careers in STEM, right? And so you've done a lot to help your kids learn. But you know, how do we get other young girls interested in science, technology, engineering, math? Well, you know, we were talking about it before, right? Like how people view those jobs. I think for years we viewed them somewhat masculine. Um, but in our house, we view those jobs and all things that kind of encompass in there as things that are black and white. And I say that because 2 plus 2 is always 4. So it doesn't really matter my opinion of you. If your answer is 4, you are right. And so I often tell the kids that those jobs are always jobs that are going to need to to be done and always jobs that are going to be respected because you, as long as you can do the job efficiently, nobody really has to, there's no um, opinion of you or, you know, you don't have to be the fad. You know, if you're a painter or you're a philosopher, it's, it's more about if people agree or disagree, and it's it's able to be agreed with or disagreed with. Those jobs are more um, definitive, I, I guess, in my opinion of them. And so g- girls and or boys at this point, what I would say is those jobs will allow you to go somewhere, be whoever you want to be, but you can still be good at something where you're not so judged in terms of if you're a painter and you look like this, well, maybe I don't like your look and now I don't like your painting because I don't like your look. But it's very hard to argue with someone who their work, you know, their math is all correct or they've coded something and the application works on your phone, but they might look different than the way you are comfortable with. It's, it's an interesting, it's a different perspective on a way to go about the world, but in this world that we kind of have at this point where people are trying to figure out their place or what what is the right look, what is the wrong look, what is the what is my comfort zone? You know, people are afraid to show up somewhere and look a little bit different. You know, in this day and age where we've got so many kids where they're being bullied or they're the outcast or the whatnot, you know, if you stick to the stuff that you 
can confidently learn and then know. It's very hard for someone to argue with you when you... With the knowledge. With the knowledge. And so what do you find? Because you're doing this work now with the animation project. Yep. And you're working with both men and women. Yep. They're young men, young women, helping them really learn these important skills. Absolutely. And so... Do you find that the women are getting just the same respect that the men are getting in this? Well, it, yeah, I am. And I'm not only finding, I mean, you know, girls just have a better, and I don't need to tout this, but right, we just have a better grasp on looking longer term. Okay. So at least that's the way I've always seen it in all the jobs that I've always had. Um we're more long-sighted than short-sighted, and men are very good in the moment. So I, I often think if we, I always say, when they put the little girl in front of the bull on Wall Street, okay. my opinion of that, if they would have put her on the bull, we could have <laughs> rode that thing. Like, instead of putting one in front of the other, yes. be combative, if she would have got on that thing, we could ride that thing right to, like, the moon, yes. right? Because together, they're more powerful than separate. And that's truly my opinion. So instead of it being a male or female, how about we put people in the roles that are better? So what we're seeing in our, in our projects is we've paired off. Like the boys, right, they, they, when we're developing these coding for the animation of the like video games, right, yes. one of these VR classes that we've just put together where we had them build a 3D video game, the boys, right, the action, the what they should shoot out of their gun or, or what they should shoot, you know, at the different perspectives in the screen yes. was the boys are super into that. But the girls are like, well, this character can only move in three facets. So when we have to swing the screen around, that character is not actually going to be able to move. And the boys are like, oh, right, so we got to give this character more so really it's the characteristics two to be able to be... In the next scene, because right, in this it. scene, right, it'll work. But in the next scene, it's not going to work. So what we're seeing is how to how to create a team yes. that both people are necessary, or sometimes our teams are much bigger, they're yes, 12, but, but how to balance and how to put people in the right role. We're going to complement each other. Exactly, and, well and then how to have respect for the other person's ideas and how to be able to listen properly. You know, Such women are just, I think... Our girls are really good listeners. Our boys, sometimes we have to be like, stop for a second and listen. But we're all getting there. And we've, um, we've had eight girls this year that, that graduated through. Oh, that were amazing, you know. Um, and we had, up until this year, we only ever had one girl in our program. That's so fantastic. That, was amazing. that is fantastic. I love it. So now in one word, what's the next pivot in your life? I'm going to make it two words, and I'm going to say it really quick, financial literacy. Oh, wow. I yeah. love it. Well, I can't wait to have you on another time Absolutely. to, to talk a little, to be back. a little about that, because Kara McSoud, thank you so much for joining me today. It's awesome. According to the Harris Polls Happiness Index, only 33% of Americans are happy right now. So there's clearly a lot of people who would benefit from a good pivot these days. And while we've heard about some pretty extreme pivoting today, there are clearly some smaller adjustments we could make in our lives to affect some real change. Silencing the television and social media, taking control of our finances, working out more, or making time for family dinner, as Kara and her family do, to name a few. But for those of you thinking about a significant pivot in your life, I can help you plan for it. At the end of the day, planning for all of the stages in life is crucial. 
As a financial advisor at Bernstein, I've helped people through many acts. For more information, you can reach me at emily.grace at bernstein.com or at 212-756-1951. And if you want to learn more about the work Kara is doing with young adults in coding, visit www.theanimationproject.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Have a great day. The information contained herein reflects the views of Alliance Bernstein LP or its affiliates and sources it believes are reliable as of the date of this podcast. Alliance Bernstein LP makes no representations or warranties concerning the accuracy of any data. There is no guarantee that any projection, forecast, or opinion in this material will be realized. Past performance does not guarantee future results. The views expressed herein may change at any time after the date of this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Alliance Bernstein LP does not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. It does not take an investor's personal investment objectives or financial situation into account. Investors should discuss their individual circumstances with appropriate professionals before making any decisions. This information should not be construed as sales or marketing material or an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any financial instrument, product, or service sponsored by Alliance Bernstein or its affiliates. <music>